I'd like to say that it is an honor to be here today, and I am so honored and humbled that you would have invited me to spend January with you. And I'm not going as far away as Shane. I couldn't find my way to Michigan. If I tried, I'll just be over in Oconee County, and if you ever need me to come and help you out again, all you have to do is call. I'm always thrilled to be here. And it's fun today to have Eli and Anna Claire here, uh, the grandchildren of Chuck and Karen Burdell. They went all the way to Europe with me this summer, and I tried my best to keep up with them across England and France and Germany and Austria and Belgium. And uh, uh, it's just the, um, you, they were delightful people to travel with. And I'm so happy that they're here this morning. And I'm happy that I'm here. And I'm happy that all of you here. And I'm happy that the choir and Teresa are here. And I'm certain that John's somewhere, but it doesn't matter where I look. No, he's not there. Oh, there he is. Hey, John. Hey, John. Well, how are y'all doing today? How are y'all doing? I was in Costa Rica last week, and uh, they have a saying down, down there, for a vida, which means, how's your mom and them, as close as I can tell. <laughs> uh, we just say, fine, how are you? How are y'all doing today? Uh, you know, John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, when he began each small group meeting, had himself and his other leaders start each meeting by asking quite another question. They asked, how is it with your soul? And that's the question that I want to ask and look at today. Not how is your soul, but how is it with your soul? That's a serious question. We spend a lot of time talking about people and their different maladies. My sister can't wait to call me every day and tell me who's sick and who's at the doctor and who's having this problem and who's having that problem. And that's great. We need to be aware of one another. And we always ask one another how we're doing, but it's much more important that we know how is it with your soul. This is January. I'm sure we all made a lot of New Year's resolutions that we've already begun to, broke, to break. You know, I don't know how many resolutions you've broken, but in January, they tell me the first week of January that the health clinics and the spas and the exercise places just clean up. They have so many people come and join the first week in January. And by the first week in February, those machines are idle and empty again for the most part. We all make resolutions about what we're not going to eat, how much exercise we're going to get, or maybe we're going to just look at getting our finances in shape. 
or maybe we're going to clean out the house. We always start the new year determined to examine our position in life and set things in order. But how often do we ask the most important question, how is it with your soul? Well, obviously, all is well with our souls, right? I mean, here we are. We're all in church this morning. We're singing in the choir. We're playing the piano. We're at Sunday services. Obviously, all is well with all of our souls. Or is it? We're not all perfect. Coming to church doesn't make us perfect. Even singing in the choir doesn't make us perfect. Uh, John Wesley, our founder, not our church's founder, but Methodism's founder, uh, was a troubled soul for much of his life. I'll give you a little history lesson today. It's some, something that you've probably already heard somewhere along the line. It won't hurt to hear it again. It won't hurt to be reminded of who we are and where we came from. John Wesley came to Georgia with James Oglethorpe in 1735. Oglethorpe founded Georgia in 1732. The first settlers came on February 12, 1733. Oglethorpe left and went back to England and returned in 1735 and brought John Wesley and his brother Charles with him. The colony was three years old, and John Wesley became the rector at Christ Church in Savannah. And he preached to the people in the new Georgia colony, and he also traveled about and preached to the Native Americans. He preached to the Yamacraw Indians. He preached under the great live oak trees on St. Simon's Island, right across from where Christ Church on that island is now. People say that John Wesley set himself on fire with the Holy Spirit, and people came from miles around to watch him burn. Some people attribute that statement to Wesley. There's no indication that he ever said that about himself. But Wesley's ministry in Georgia, while noted and historic, and while it planted seeds that would eventually bloom and grow and prosper, John Wesley's ministry in Georgia was not at all effective. And John Wesley, you may or may not know, had to flee Georgia under the cover of night. Now, by his own admission, in his own words, during his time in Georgia, John Wesley was very, very legalistic in his approach to evangelism. He himself says that he thought he was saved while he was here, but he was not. And while he was in Georgia, he became romantically involved with a young lady named Sophia Hopke. And she was the niece of the colony's chief magistrate. Wesley was pious. He did not move his relationship forward fast enough to suit Sophia Hopke. 
He never proposed to her, even though they had kept steady company, and even though she expected him to do so. So she up and married another man. And after that, Wesley called her unfit to receive Holy Communion and refused to serve her Holy Communion, which was very embarrassing for her. Now, Sophia was, the, as I said, the niece of the chief magistrate. So the chief magistrate of the Savannah Colony brought Sophia, brought Charles, uh, John Wesley up on charges for defamation of character by refusing to serve communion to his niece. The church was outraged. Wesley did not show up for the hearing because he said that it was an ecclesiastical matter, not a civil or a legal matter, so they issued a warrant for his arrest and he fled Georgia. Is it well with your soul, or you, do you still have business to do with the Lord? Wesley still had business to do with the Lord. And he would later say that while he was in Savannah and the Georgia colony, his mind and his heart were sincerely focused on the teachings of the Bible, but his soul was lacking. And you may, this, may know the story. On May the 24th in 1738, there won't be a test. You don't have to remember the dates. But Wesley was attending a Moravian prayer meeting on Aldersgate Street in downtown London when he had a true conversion experience. He was a preacher. He was an evangelist. He was a missionary. He had been preaching the gospel. He was ordained in the Anglican church, but he was not converted until he got back from Georgia. And he wrote about that experience in his journal. He said, in his own words, about a quarter before nine, while the speaker was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ Jesus, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt for the first time that I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It became well with John Wesley's soul when he realized that it was not his acts, it was not his deeds, it was not the words he spoke or his actions, but the blood of Jesus Christ that saved him from his sin. How is it with your soul? What does the Bible say about the soul? Enough words about me and John Wesley. Let's look at the scriptures. We've been talking three weeks ago about Genesis and creation. 
We talked the next week about how God came to earth in human form and dwelt among us. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Word of God. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. We are our souls. Our souls are eternal. Our body is not eternal. Our body is simply a vessel to contain our souls during our time on earth. Sure, we want to take care of our body. We want to be as healthy as we can for as long as we can. We want to enjoy life that Christ has provided for us. He says He brought us here to enjoy life and to have it more abundantly. But our bodies are going to wear out, every single one of them. Our bodies are going to die, every single one of them. Every single one. But our soul is eternal. And every soul is eternal. Every soul was created by God for eternity. The only question is, after our earthly bodies have played out, where will our souls spend eternity? I read a story this week about an old Appalachian man who was about to die and he called his wife in and told her he was in his last days. He had hoarded some gold coins and she wanted to take those gold coins and put them in the attic so that when he died he could grab them on his way to heaven. And she did. She did. And then a couple of days later, the old man's body played out. He died. They had the funeral. They buried him. And a couple of days later, his widow got a little bit curious. And she went up in that attic and she found the gold coins still right where she had left them. She said, dang, I knew I should have put them in the basement. <laughs> Our souls are eternal. The question is where our eternal soul will reside. That's the question. That's the most important question we'll ever, ever answer. Most of y'all know Judd Doster, who was raised in this church. His daddy was Wayne Doster, and his mother's Carol, now Carol George. And I was talking with, with Judd, who's a financial planner, and, and a, apparently a very good one, and we were talking about uh, things, and he told me about a prominent person who had died recently, and he had handled his affairs. And Judd said, Do you know how much money he left behind? And I thought, Oh, man, Judd's going to share some gossip with me. I've always wondered how much. I knew the guy was loaded, but I didn't know how much he had. I said, no, how much? He said, every single penny. He left it all behind. 
He didn't take any of it with him. Our body is temporary. Our wealth is temporary. Our business affairs are temporary. Our soul is eternal. Billy Graham said in the last year of his life, one day soon, you're going to open the newspaper and you're going to read that Billy Graham has died. It will be a lie. I will be more alive at that moment than I've ever been in my whole life on earth because I will be in heaven with my Savior, Jesus Christ. We are souls, eternal souls, breathed into life by God Almighty. Paul wrote in Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, and the dust returns to earth as it was, but the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, Matthew 10, 28, red words, the words of Jesus, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. How is it with your soul? Do you look after your soul? Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 23, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. King David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. Only Christ can restore our soul. Christ also said in Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? How do we judge the condition of our soul? By doing everything we can to be more and more in touch with Lord Jesus. We don't want to give lip service to Christ. We don't want to be a lukewarm Christian because he'll spit lukewarm Christians right out of his mouth. We can have our soul restored by communication with Christ. We need to read his word. We need to know how he wants us to act. We need to know how he wants us to interact with fellow human beings. He wants us to know how to... We, to live our lives. He came to earth and showed us. He left us His Word in the form of the Holy Bible and we need to pay attention to the Holy Bible. We need to pay attention to all of the Holy Bible, not just the parts that suit us. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know how Jesus lived His life and we need to try our best to emulate His life. We need to try to grow in perfection. And knowing that we can never attain perfection on this, perfection on this side of heaven, then we need to have faith 
and be appreciative and accept the fact and understand that Jesus Christ became sin and died on the cross for us. We need to pray to the Lord. We need to talk to Him. We need to listen to Him. We need to pray every day. I don't know how much you pray, but it needs to be more. I know how much I pray and how often I pray, and it needs to be more. We need to try to be in constant communication with Jesus Christ because He will restore our soul. He will give us peace. You know, we lost Jimmy Buffett this year, this past year. I love Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett wrote in a song that juicy fruit was good for the soul. Y'all, juicy fruit don't do anything to help the soul. I love juicy fruit. You go open the door of my car now, it'll smell like juicy fruit because I keep a couple of packs in the console. But it doesn't help my soul whatsoever. Only Jesus Christ can restore my soul. I have to have a yearning for Christ. I have to want Him to touch my soul. I have to communicate with Him. I have to know Him. I have to, have to understand Him. I have to have faith, and I have to appreciate the fact that He died for me. He died for me. And I'll tell you something else. He died for every person you encounter in your life. I don't care how rich or poor they are. I don't care how smart or not smart they are. I don't care what race they are, what religion they are, what creed they are. Everybody we encounter in life, Jesus Christ thought enough about them to die for them. And so we need to treat each and every person that we encounter with that in mind. How is it with your soul? How is your faith? How strong is your faith? I'm going to tell you a little story about a man who had a very strong faith. You've probably heard this story before. Again, it doesn't hurt to be reminded of it. Man's name was Horatio. Not a very modern name. Horatio G. Spafford. He was lived in the 19th century. He was born in 1828. He died in 1888. If my Porterdale math is right, that's just 60 years. He didn't live a long life. He was a Presbyterian from Chicago. Now, I didn't know they had Presbyterians in Chicago but apparently they did. He was a lawyer and a devout Christian. Uh, among his close friends was Dwight L. Moody, uh, the great evangelist, who was also from Chicago. Spafford was wealthy through real estate holdings. He had more money than Croesus. And then one day, Chicago caught on fire. You've all heard of the great Chicago Fire of 1871. And Horatio Spafford lost every material 
possession he had. He was completely wiped out. Every piece of property he had was burned. And shortly after that, his infant son died. Now, most people would have their faith shaken, but not Spafford. He maintained his strong relationship with Christ. But he hadn't seen anything yet. Two years later, Spafford decided that his wife needed a rest. So he sent her on a cruise across the ocean with Dwight Moody, who was going to a crusade in England. He was going to follow later. Spafford had to take care of some business deals, and then he was going to join his wife and his four daughters. On November 22nd in 1873, two years after Spafford had lost all his material possessions and his infant son, the ship on which his wife and his family was traveling across the ocean collided in a dense fog with another ship and sank to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Several days later, the survivors landed in Wales, and Mrs. Spafford sent him a cablegram, saved alone. She had survived. His four daughters had not. Spafford caught the first ship he could toward Great Britain, and when the ship was at a certain spot in the Atlantic, the captain came down to Spafford and said, this is where the ship, that the family ship had gone down. This is where the remains of your four daughters lie at the bottom of the ocean. I cannot imagine, and I pray that I never have to experience and understand what he felt, but this is what he did. He went down to his cabin. He read his Bible. And then he wrote a poem that has become a song, a great hymn of our faith. He wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What a great example of Christian faith, Horatio Spafford. Verse 2, he wrote, Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control. Hear this, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Christ was God in human form, and Christ loved me enough to shed his blood on my behalf to wake, take away my sin. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, 
is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Christ didn't take part of my sin away. Christ took it all away. And all I have to do to assure that my soul will live eternally is accept that gift and repent of my sins. And the Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. And the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? The Lord can restore your soul if it needs restoring. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Shall we pray? Oh, holy God, Keep us still in this hour. Help us to know that as we go through earth, through our life on earth, pursuing all the busyness that in the end won't amount to a hill of beans, that we remember to look after the most important thing that we have, which is the eternal soul. Help us to work on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Help us to learn what He would have us to learn Help us live the way He would have us to live and help us have enough faith that regardless of the maladies that life throws at us, in the end, we can examine ourselves and we can truly say, it is well with my soul. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. The hymn is...